Good morning. All right, that's what I'm talking about. My name's Shane. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and I want to add my welcome to Ron's welcome and say it is great to be together to worship here this morning. Uh, if you are a guest have been checking out Fellowship uh, for any amount of time or this is your first time with us, we would love to know that you are here. And I would ask you to uh, fill out the connection card that is on your seat or around your seat and take it out to that desk out in the atrium. We have some people that would love to meet you, to answer your questions, and to give you a gift as our thanks for showing up and worshiping with the Fellowship family this morning. Uh, In addition to that, I want to let you know that uh, as you fill out those prayer cards as well and put them in the offering baskets at every exit, Uh, At the end of the message, we will have people under love and hope that would love to pray with you right here. So if you are here this morning and God has something heavy on your heart, or you just want to celebrate what God has done with somebody, uh, there will be people under love and hope uh, at the end of the service ready to pray with you. One thing I want to call your attention to, uh, and there's a lot of announcements in the bulletin, so you can get all the information about what is going on there. Uh, But this coming Sunday, we are having our event called Fellowship on the Lawn. And what Fellowship on the Lawn is, is a gathering of the entire fellowship body. There are so many times where if you go to a different service, you may not know that someone that you uh, want to connect with and, and know in person uh, goes to fellowship. So we try to make a couple opportunities a year where we bring everyone together. And that happens next Sunday right out here. Uh, and all you need to do is come around 4.30 p.m. We're going to have some food trucks that will be able to uh, uh, feed you. You just bring money, pick which truck you want to go to, buy your dinner, bring your camp chairs, bring your canopies if you want to, to block the sun, Bring your family, your friends, your home church, those you're investing in, those you're witnessing to, uh, and join us for a great time of fellowship on the lawn. Well, this morning we are taking uh, the opportunity to jump into a book. Uh, Ken is continuing his survey through the Bible uh, in the Old Testament, going a book at a time, giving us a, a big overview of each book in the Bible. Uh, but this week, uh, in, in the weeks that are coming up, Ken is traveling. Uh, Ken is getting some much-deserved uh, time off here and there. And so in those cracks and crevices, Michael and I are going to teach through the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is a great book for us to look at. Uh, the background on the book of Ephesians, uh, of course, Paul is the author, uh, and he is writing from prison. So from the confines of incarceration, Paul is penning a letter. His ministry does not stop uh, being bound in prison, in a a Roman prison. He is still focused on uh, spreading the gospel, telling the people that are there in the prison, as well as the churches and churches that he has heard about, uh, encouraging them and pointing out things of how to live faithfully for the Lord. So, uh, some of the background for Ephesians, Paul's the author, he's in prison, uh, and he continues his ministry. And he is writing a book, a letter, to uh, the church at Ephesus. And it's a unique book, because it is not dealing with any specific issues. It's not talking to any specific people. It's not personalized like so many of his other books are. 
And so it's able to be circulated to multiple churches and is applicable wherever it goes, even for us today. But in Ephesus, Paul has a special relationship because he has been there multiple times. On his missionary journeys, he has stopped by Ephesus. And in fact, on this third missionary journey, he hunkers down for three years. And I think one of the reasons he does that is because of the significance of the city. It is a hub in the Roman province of Asia. It, it's the capital city. And all, a whole bunch of trade routes come through Ephesus. And so as commerce is happening in Ephesus, Paul sees this as a strategic place to share the gospel so it will spread along those trade routes. And so he spends three years investing and sowing. Ephesus is also home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the, the temple of the Greek goddess, Artem, Greek goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. And this temple is a place that is, is significant to them for their status and their finances. And so many people's lives in Ephesus is tied to the success of this temple. And in Acts, as you journey with Paul along the way, you see uh, there's a, a picture of a silversmith whose livelihood is being affected by Paul's advancement of the, the gospel, the success that God is granting Paul in sharing the gospel. It's changing people's minds and participation in this temple. And so he rises up and causes a, a riot to oppose the message of Christ. And he wants to stop the spread of the gospel because it is hurting his bottom line. So this is Ephesus. The book of Ephesians is a great applicable book. But it isn't addressing any of these issues. And so we, as we study it, are going to be able to just readily apply all the principles in it. So a summary of Ephesus, or of, of Ephesians. Um, you know, I, I sent out a resource this past Thursday in our e-news. If you're not on our e-news and you want to get our weekly email about all the events and things that are going on, fill out that connection card, put add to email, and we'll get you added. But we sent out Thursday a link uh, to the Gospel Project's uh, book on Ephesians. And it's a great overview of, of the book. In addition, out of the Connection Center, uh, Ken gave me permission to go ahead and print out his chart. Uh, it, he told me it does not have his name because he hasn't updated in a while, so I could claim it as mine. Uh, so if it makes you feel better that it's my chart, uh, even though it looks exactly like all of his other charts and it uses words that I can't pronounce, if you want to attribute it to me, that's fine with me. But uh, Ken's right over there, and he can validate that he said uh, it could be attributed to me as well. Maybe a co-author? I don't know. Uh, probably not. Uh, but with, with those two resources at your disposal, I'm going to give you a very broad, high-altitude overview and just say the book of Ephesians is broken into two major parts, the first three chapters and the last three. The first three chapters are focused on who we are, and the last three are how we should live. Paul, in the first three chapters, gives us a great theology and grand doctrine of who we are because of the work of God through Christ and in the Holy Spirit. 
In the last three chapters, Paul says, and because of who we are, and because of what God has done for us, and because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, this is how we should live in response. So I came up with a a little picture because I'm visual as well. Yeah, very simple picture, but maybe this will help. Who we are in Christ, because of the love of God, the provision of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and us coming to faith, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because of that reality, because of that foundational truth, it should move us, it should spur us, it should motivate us. It should be the reason behind how we live and what we do. It should be reflective and responsive to who we are in the work of God. Well, to start off the book of Ephesians, Paul does a standard greeting. In, in all of his letters and of letters of the time, there's just a, a format that he uses, just like we do in formal letters today. But in these two verses, we're going to find the author and his authority, we're going to find the audience and their action, and we're going to see grace and who is the giver of. And these two verses, which, if you're like me, when you're reading through these letters and you get to the greeting or the, the ending, do you kind of skim over them like I do? It's okay to be honest, this is church. Yeah, I mean, we do that, right? Uh, thankfully, I didn't do that with this one this time. I studied it, and as I read through the entire book of Ephesians over and over uh, in preparation, I saw some things come out of these two verses that I think are pretty significant. So let's read it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here off the back, again, uh, Paul, in the standard way of writing the letter, identifies who he is, and then he uh, kind of gives an emphasis of his authority to be sending them this letter. He said, by the will of God, I am an apostle. I am a sent one, a messenger of Jesus Christ. And right off the back, we see Paul saying, you need to pay attention to what I'm, I have to say, because by the will of God, I was chosen by God to proclaim the news of Christ. And you know, if you think through the life of Paul, um, you see that it's surprising that he would consider himself chosen because leading up to that place, that encounter with Christ, he was Saul who persecuted the church, who was opposing the church, who wanted to see the church torn down. But after an encounter with Christ, he, Christ changed his eternity and his purpose, and he became a builder of the church, a proclaimer of the good news, and a pursuer of the way. And now this apostle, chosen by God, has something to say, and he's going to address uh, people that uh, are in Ephesus, and he calls them two things. He calls them saints, and he calls them faithful. His audience are the saints, the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for salvation. He is talking to believers, but not just any believers, because the apostle calls them faithful. These people uh, have experienced salvation, and they are walking faithfully in salvation. 
And what an encouragement that must have been to receive those words from the apostle. Knowing all that he has been through, that he is penning this letter behind prison walls, that he is, is encouraging them in their faithful walk in the Lord. And he greets them with grace and peace. And these two words together show us what God has done for them, extending salvation to those who don't deserve it, just like he did to Paul himself. Who they are. And peace, so that as they have experienced salvation, they have peace with God, and they have peace and unity with other believers. See, in the the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are dealing with the vertical relationship between us and God. In the last three chapters, we'll see the horizontal relationship between us and one another. And Paul kind of breaks all of that down here in the very uh, first two verses. He gives us a, a, an overview of the, the book himself. In the beginning, uh, the first part, we're going to talk about who we are. We are saints. We are in Christ. We have experienced grace, and we are chosen. And then he'll move in first, uh, chapters 4 through 6 to, okay, because of that, how should we live? And it's like these saints. We're to live faithfully in Christ. A couple of overviews uh, will lead us into the next section. Because verses 3 through 14 uh, is an extensive um, <laughs> theological and doctrinal statement that, that needs some direction. Uh, Danny Hayes and Scott Duvall give us an outline of these 12 verses, saying in verse 3 through 6, the Father came up with a plan to rescue people from sin and Satan. In verses 7 through 12, the Son carried out the plan through his life, death, and resurrection. In verses 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit will now make the plan a personal reality for those who respond to God's gracious offer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Paul, in these 12 verses, is going to give us a Trinitarian uh, outlook on who we are, our identity in Christ. Even better than this outline is my buddy's uh, Ken's. So succinct and so clear. What he says is, the the saints are selected by the Father, verses 3 through 6. They are sacrificed for by the Son, 7 through 12. And finally, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit, verses 13 through 14. But there's something you need to know about verses 3 through 14. Because it's not just 12 verses. It's a very unique aspect in the Bible. Something that is found here uh, that just blows my mind. Because the 12 verses are actually one sentence. Paul gets on a roll. And and we're just going to have to grab a hold and go for the ride. Because he is just going to rattle off one major theological principle after another. And he's going to build this Trinitarian theology of who we are in Christ. When we have put our faith in Christ, this is your identity. And he's going to use this passage, this one sentence, to anchor us in who we are. And just to give you an idea, in the Greek, this one sentence is 202 words. Do we have any English teachers in here? 
I, I can't imagine putting this into Grammarly and seeing what it would do. It'd probably come out the way it's translated in our Bibles with punctuation and everything. But here's what it looks like. 220 words, one sentence. Do you have friends like this? Yeah, I think we all do. And this is overwhelming, and I can barely even read it on the back screen. Do not worry. This is not how we're going to be looking at this. Uh, But while we have this up, I want to point out some, some things that jumped off the pages as I studied it. And I would encourage you, something that I've been trying to do is I have a Bible that hasn't been used And so as I'm studying uh, these books, whether it's Ephesians or uh, the Gospels that I'm going through, uh, I have a a clean copy. Instead of my old faithful that's just marked up as if every single sentence and every single word needs to be highlighted, underlined, starred, and have notes, but to look at it with fresh eyes. And here's what jumped off uh, the pages as I read through Ephesians, specifically this one sentence that spans 12 verses. Praise. In this one sentence, Paul calls us to praise God three times. The fourth praise at the top uh, is also blessed, and it's probably a better translation to call it blessed because of what Paul is doing in verse 3. But praise jumps off the page. Paul is bursting with praising God for the work that he has done. And the praise is infectious. As I'm reading it and getting all pumped up about who we are in Christ and what God has done on our behalf and the power of the Holy Spirit to to seal us for our day of redemption, I mean, it is exciting. And it just beckons you to stop and go, God, I praise you for what you have done. Klein Snodgrass, who has a great last name like I do. uh, Yes, Snodgrass. Just try saying that a thousand times. Um, He says the purpose of God's electing activity is to reveal his own character as a loving, saving God. When God is revealed, and the word glory is primarily a word about revelation. So praising God is about his revelation. Praise is the inevitable result. As we read these verses, 3 through 6 is where we're going to focus today, and we see this refrain a praise of his glory, or praise for his glorious riches. We need to understand that as God reveals himself to us, our response is praise. Well, another thing that really sticks out in this passage, one sentence. In the NIV, nine in hymns. In him, in Christ, in the one, nine times, Paul says in him, if you have the NAS, you get two bonus. There's 11. How important is this concept of in Christ? It is foundational to everything Paul is teaching. And he constantly, not just here in chapter 1, but throughout all of Ephesians, this is a repeated frame. So we're going to be dealing with this for many weeks to come. This concept that in Christ makes a difference. And it just tells us there's something he's trying to communicate, and he does it over and over again. Klein, again, helps us out. He says, But the most important use of in Christ has a local sense and points to uh, incorporation into Christ. That is, Christ is the place where believers reside. 
the source in which they find God's salvation and blessings, and the framework in which they live and work, who we are, how we live. Paul will weave the in him, in Christ theme throughout all of Ephesians to call us to be centralized on Christ for who we are and how we live. Well, the final thing that stuck out to me uh, that I thought was uh, worthy of noting is just how many times in this, again, one sentence, Paul constantly talks about being chosen, being predestined, uh, being purposed, being planned, and according to his will. This notion that God chose us. And, And Paul is putting it out there to this group of saints who are walking faithful with the Lord to say, I need you to put your identity in the fact that you were chosen. God chose you. So walk in him. So we're going to jump into verse 3 through 6. And what we're going to see is God chose the chosen before creation. God chose the chosen before creation. Verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Again, in other translations, it says, Bless be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a a play on the word bless and blessing. So we bless God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Bless his heart. Paul is calling us and and using this to focus us on the blessings of God. And they're spiritual blessings, and we have every spiritual blessing. But what does it mean that we're blessed in the heavenly realms? What is the heavenly realms? Well, this was one of those things, and I don't know if you guys ever look in commentaries, but there's sometimes you're like, I don't understand this concept. It feels big. It feels kind of out there and crazy. So I need to look at the really smart guys who write these commentaries and, and deal with this to find out what it is. And almost every time, people don't write about it. Have you noticed that? I'm like, come on. Uh, this was one of those, except in a few places. So we're going to use some help on what the heavenly realms is. Mark Roberts says this, Drawing together all this evidence, and his evidence are the five uh, places in Ephesians that uses the phrase heavenly realms. In those five places, when you dissect them and pull out the truth that is found in them, we learn that the heavenly realms are the place where God is seated, in the highest level, yet other supernatural beings, both good and evil, dwell in the heavenly realms. So this was hard enough for me as I I was studying and not getting a lot of information, and some of the information didn't make a lot of sense to me, that I went back to 2008. A great year. But in that year, the right reverend, Ken Wilson, taught on this passage. And 15 years ago, he was talking about this very thing. And it was so helpful to hear Ken, who can take all this information and assimilate it so succinctly and so well. And so I decided to summarize that, and I checked with him this morning to say, hey, this is how I summarize what you said. Is it okay if I said I summarize from you? And he said, sure, as long as you don't mess it up. Uh, but what, what Ken said 
that, that we see in those five verses is that in the heavenly realms, Christ is exalted, we are united with him, and there is struggle. There is conflict. And so what this passage is saying is that in the spiritual realm, God has given us everything we need, every spiritual blessing to walk faithfully even amidst conflict and opposition. God has not left us ill-equipped. He has given us every spiritual blessing needed to walk faithfully in Christ. Man, that's powerful. Paul continues in verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, stop and read that again. God chose us before the creation of the world. I started trying to wrap my mind around that. This, this idea of choosing and timing. I'm like, okay, so before I chose him in college, my sophomore year, when I realized, oh my gosh, I've been missing it. I was reading scripture and God just convicted my heart and I put my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and to change my life from death to eternal life in him. Before that day, I was chosen. But not just before that day. Before God created Adam and gave him lungs that had the capacity to receive the breath of life that he was going to breathe into him, he chose me. Before he hung the stars in the sky, he chose me. Before he said, let there be light, he chose me. And he chose the people who have put their faith in Christ. He knew it. Before we had a past, before we had any sin and experience of, of, of shame, he chose us. Before we could have ever have conceived that we had some merit that deserved salvation, he chose us. And this just gives us a picture of a loving God who has a purpose and a determination to choose for him a people, just like he did with Israel. And Israel's purpose in his choosing was to bless all the world. And I think the same is true for the church as he calls the church and says, I want you to make disciples of everyone to the ends of the earth. Scott Duvall says, this, this is a dicey topic uh, because when we talk about election, when we talk about God's choosing, there's so much baggage that comes with us. So Duvall pauses and helps us to, to keep straight on what we're talking about here in Ephesians. He said, election is certainly a biblical doctrine, but one that is often misunderstood and misapplied. In addition, many people go beyond what the Bible actually says in an attempt to build a theological system that somehow improves upon Scripture. My hope and prayer for you is that you will lay down any secondary sources and focus again on what God is saying through the primary source of his word. The bottom line, Scripture is so clear, you were chosen before all of creation. And that has an impact. That, that should not drive us to argue about stuff. That should drive us to our knees in humility and say, God, 
thank you. Because when we look in the mirror, sometimes I go, I don't know that I would have chosen me. I know me. And maybe you experience that too. But the reality is, God in his sovereignty, God in his love, God in his purposes, before he created the heavens and the earth for us to dwell and mess up, chose us. Verse 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In love. There's two loves here. It's a a focus. In the character of God, because of his love, according to his will and his good pleasure. Before Chick-fil-A, it was his pleasure to choose us. Sorry, Josiah. I I had a Chick-fil-A joke there for you. We were predestined to adoption and sonship and daughtership. You were wanted. You were brought out of your family of sin and death and into the family sealed with life and life eternal. Again, that shows that you are wanted, that you are purposeful, that you are wrapped in a family characterized by love and purpose you were not an afterthought. You know, I think back to elementary days where in PE class, the PE teacher would pick two captains, right? And say, hey, we're going to play some dodgeball. And you, everybody else lined up, and these two captains stood out there judging everybody, just kind of looking. And they would select one by one. Until it got down to me at the end, and they're like, you take him. No, I don't want him. You take him. And the feeling of rejection of nobody wanting you. And maybe it's not PE class for you. Maybe you've experienced that in relationships. Maybe you've experienced that in athletics. Maybe you've experienced that at work, where you felt like you weren't wanted, like you were rejected. And that, over time, starts kind of uh, building who you are and who you become because it defines you if you let it. Paul is saying in this first chapter of Ephesians, he's like, you have been chosen. And by being chosen by the creator of the world, it doesn't matter how many times you are rejected by its creation because the creator's choosing is greater than the rejection of anything created. And that gives us identity. That gives us purpose. That gives us value. And that is who Paul says we are. Summary of this, verse 3 through 6, and where I want us to land today. You were chosen in advance, not as an afterthought. Let all your arguments about everything else fall aside And just listen to that truth. Because my guess is, in a service this size, there are a lot of people that need to hear this. There are a lot of people that feel overlooked, cast aside, rejected. They're carrying a lot of hurt and are letting the rejection of the world, 
rejection in different situations, relationships, whatever, define their value. And that hinders how you walk with the Lord. Let this chapter call us back to our purpose and who we are, anchored in Christ, that we are chosen in advance. We are not an afterthought. Some next steps to think about. I mean, the first one would be, maybe this, this just re-energizes uh, your soul. It reminds you of who we are and the purposes God has for us. The value that he brings by his choosing of us. Then we need to spend this week praising God for his redemptive work. As God reveals himself to us through his word, through uh, our community calling us to, to push towards him, man, we need to spend time praising God, knowing it is a gift from him. Maybe you're someone in here that is experiencing that rejection or carries that baggage, and it's to find who you are. I would read Ephesians 1 every day, two or three times a day, to speak against those lies that are on replay in your head and hear the truth of God and his choosing of you. Finally, may you take these truths and share them with a younger in faith uh, believer. May Wouldn't it have been a different story had you gotten some of these foundational truths early on? As you invest in other people's lives, take some of these truths and pass them out to those younger in faith believers. They need to hear them. Because they are experiencing what you and I have experienced. They are experiencing the rejection. They are questioning their value. And it's hindering their walk with the Lord. And we need to be reminded of the truth that is from Scripture. That the creator of all things chose you before he created all things. So if you're a believer, we need to praise God. We need to be thankful for what he has done. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm, I don't know that I have that relationship with God. I don't think I have trusted and put my faith in Christ. So where does that leave me? It leaves you in this place at this time to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God sent him. He lived, died, and rose from the grave so that you might have a relationship with him and be adopted into the family. And I would call you to respond to believe and put your faith in him. And then the person is like, hey, I got this. I'm good to go. Man, if you're good to go and you feel confident in this, then you need to be sharing this with other people. You need to be telling them the good news. You need to be like the Apostle Paul, never content in any of your circumstances, but always pushing forward with the gospel and encouraging other believers. Seeing the kingdom be built in Christ, and the gospel message expanded to the ends of the earth. May we be the saints living faithfully in the truth of who we are in God. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word being true. Thank you for your faithfulness, your love, and the value that you bring because of who you are and who you have made us. May we walk faithfully in this truth. Amen.